Jonah 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, go, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the seas grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord. Have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Please pray with me. Dear Jesus, we love you this morning, and... I thank you for your word that you've given us. I thank you for this church that you've filled with your spirit. I pray that you'd come down and that you'd soften each one of our hearts to receive uh, Brian's words today. I also say a special prayer for the mothers. Thank you for them. And I pray that we would all do a good job of honoring them on this day. Uh, Jesus, we love you and pray all these things in your name. Amen. morning, everyone. I'm not sure if, if Joel mentioned it or not, but there will be a little gift for all the mothers during um, our last part of worship that the kids, I think, are working on now or, or they've completed. If you are uh, new, my name is Brian, and I just want to say good morning and welcome to uh, Malibu Gathering, and we're glad you're here. We are uh, in the beginning stages of studying the life of Jonah, and Jonah is a, he's not really such a nice guy when we look at it. He is living his life 
he is successful in ministry, and God calls him to go to a, a city, a city of, of Gentiles, of people who are the enemy, and, and he rebels against that. And what happens because of his decision to rebel against what God has called him to do, a storm enters his life. Storms bring out, I should say they often bring out two things, fear and anger. Growing up in, uh, in Port Townsend, Washington, Port, Port Townsend, Washington is on the Olympic Peninsula in Washington State, surrounded by water. And um, so I grew up playing in the water, loved the water, and I got my first boat, I think I was 13 or 14. And it was a tw I still remember this very clearly, it was a 12-foot aluminum boat. And I love to fish, and I just go explore. My buddy and I bought it for my next-door neighbor. And along with the boat, they gave us, uh, he gave me, must have been an outboard motor from the 40s, really old outboard motor that, that ran. And so I'd spend time in my backyard. I'd have a metal garbage can. I'd fill it with water, and I'd get the motor going. And so we were ready. We were set for our maiden voyage. Very excited, my buddy and I and my sister, after begging and pleading, would drove us to uh, Fort Warden, an old military fort where we could launch our boat. Being 14 years old and very excited, I forgot to do really one really important thing. And uh, I forgot to check how much gas we had. And so we were going to go from Fort Warden to Point Hudson, which is maybe a mile away, and just cruise. And, um, and we got about halfway. And and then the sputter, sputter stopped. And, and no joke, within a few minutes of rowing, the wind kicks up. And the weather can change. I guess anywhere it's true, but the weather can change very quickly in Washington. Wind came up very quickly. The water there is anywhere from 48 to 50 degrees, 15 to 20 minutes to be able to survive. And, and we began to pray just like the sailors did. We were... I was honestly very nervous, very afraid, and just rowing. And I don't know if I cried. I, might, I wouldn't admit if I did, but I was, I was we, were, we were very, it, it honestly, it was really dumb. It was really dumb and dangerous. And I'll never forget, I learned a lesson. Finally, we made it back, and uh, my parents were just about ready to call Coast Guard and my neighbor, my neighbor who, who sold me the boat, they were uh, an older couple, and I'll never forget, she looked at me right when I got home and said, Brian, if you ever do that again, I will take my shotgun and blow a hole in your boat, and you will never go out in again. And I said, okay, I got, I got that. So I love the ocean. Okay, so that was fear. My second time was anger, all right? And I was, this was college years, and um, again, just always, you know, grew up loving the ocean and playing. And my friend was a commercial fisherman, and so he invited me to go fishing. The fishing had been good, salmon fishing. And he said, you know, um, two nights, three days. Great. I'm looking forward to it. Bought all my food. And, and um, this was in between Canada and Washington and kind of near the San Juan Islands. And, and, well, I won't give you all the geography, but we were in the harbor and going out past out through the Straits of Juan de Fuca, and it was fine and calm. And I was very excited, and I was driving the boat. We get around 
a place called Point Wilson out into the Straits of Juan de Fuca, and the wind and the tide hit. And from that moment on, nonstop storm. In fact, it was, I'll try not to exaggerate too much just to make a fun story, but in all honesty, all honesty, I had to literally hold on like every moment, otherwise I'd, get, I'd go overboard. So holding on up and down, sideways, every direction. So I... And I get seasick, so I remember all, it was like the worst. I was so angry, and then trying to fish, and then his hydraulics broke, and so trying to bring in nets by hand. It was like total disaster. And about eight hours into it, and it was a three-day trip, two nights, and I, I can remember finally, I, like, I just couldn't take anymore. I was laying just flat on the boat and just like saying, like, Hell, hell cannot be worse than this. And like, I will do whatever you want, God, right? I'll do whatever you want. I'll be a missionary wherever you want, do whatever you want. If you just get me back safe, I'll do whatever you want. Storms, storms of life, and those are just, obviously, it's just stories. But real life storms, real life storms in your life can be painful can be very, very difficult. Life can be hard. We have to be honest about that, that life can be brutally hard sometimes. And the story of Jonah at this section that we'll look at this morning is about him going through a storm, going through um, a very difficult time. And in this particular case, because of the choice he made, the Bible is clear about a couple things. Number one, you might go through a storm in your life, and it might be because of the choices you've made. It might be because of the sin in your life. But it, it might not be also. In fact, in Mark chapter 4, there's another story about a storm, and it's Jesus and the disciples. And the disciples um, are with Christ. They obey Christ. And they go through a very difficult storm, too. And so this morning, the passage in its context is about Jonah making a bad choice, about rebelling against God, and therefore putting himself in a place of fear and anger. And so this morning, there's just such, there's such value in looking at this. For a good part of his life, God was at the center of his life, and when God told him to go and speak to the people in Nineveh, that part of him, in all honesty, that, that racist part of him, that nationalistic part of him, that saw that, this other group of people as unworthy of a relationship with God, anger, fear moved into the center of his life. And that contributed to the choices he made. And so this morning... We'll just spend a little bit of time looking at the, the source of the storm, and then we'll look at the response. There's two responses. We'll look at the response of Jonah, and then we will look at the response of the sailors. Um, so I'm going to just, I'll just pray really quickly. And I just, my, my intention this morning is that if you are going through a stormy season of life, that this would be encouraging, that this would be comforting, that this would strengthen, that this would help push God back to the center of your life instead of allowing fear or anger to control who you are. So just quickly, let's pray. Father, we, we come together and confess 
that life can be brutally hard sometimes, that, that there can be seasons of life where storms come into our life that, that cause deep, deep, strong anger and fear. And it's difficult to navigate out of that. I pray this morning if there's anyone here that's just struggling or hurting, that this story here of, of Jonah would be an encouragement to get you back at the center of our lives. And we love you, and we ask for your Holy Spirit's help. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here's the, the brutal, clear truth. The source of the storm. Verse 4 says this, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. God causes the storm. There is a temptation sometimes to tone down, to ignore, to reject, to push aside the reality that God is angry sometimes. The source of the storm is God pushing back into Jonah, trying to get God back at the center of his life. We are able to grasp this in some sense, that there is a place for anger, that there is a righteous, perfect anger that God has, that while we have a, a partial understanding of righteous anger, because of our fallenness, we often have a skewed perspective of it or we get it wrong. And just a quick example, as many of you know, I teach 8th grade American history, and right now we're studying World War II, and we're, we are, um, we're, we're looking, where is that part of, of history where um, the Jewish people in Poland are being pushed and taken to either the ghettos or work camps or the concentration camps? And immediately, the 8th grade response of my students is anger. How can this happen? And so, by being made in the image of God, all of us have a partial ability to see the value in the right place for anger. When evil flourishes in our world, there is a right place for anger to stop it, to prevent, to pre to prevent it from flourishing and growing. What God has, though, is perfect anger that pushes always for grace, that pushes always for love, that pushes always for mercy. And so that's what we don't have. That's why Paul says uh, in the New Testament that be angry but sin not. And if you do, if anger can have a foothold in your life, that can be a place for the enemy to grow and grab a hold of your life. And so God clearly here in this passage is the source of this storm. The intent is that, Jonah, you will not run from me. I've given you, I've commissioned this message to you. And while you think you can run from me, you cannot run from me. And it is possible, and I say this with all gentleness and <coughs> kindness, but it is possible this morning that some of you are struggling with storms in your life because of your own choices you have made. And God is allowing those storms or even causing those storms in your life to say, come 
back to me. The motive of anger is always his love. It's always his grace. It's always his healing. It's always his restoration. It's always for your well-being. He is not an angry parent like dads can be or moms can be whose children refuse to listen and they just react in anger. God's anger is perfect and always pushes back towards healing and restoration. So the source of the storm is God himself pushing Jonah back to what he called him to do. Last comment on this. The value of this is that the Ninevites, the, the Gentile people of Nineveh, God is saying, my mercy goes to them. My love goes to them. And it is so worth it for us just to pause and think about that. That God has called us to live our lives a certain way, to be in ministry and to serve and love people. And that it is possible that he will bring storms in your life to get you back on track. The source of the storm is God himself. Let's look at the response. We'll look at two responses. Number one, we'll look at Jonah, and then we'll look at the sailors. All right, so the storm gets worse and worse, literally hurled up. The winds get worse and worse. And here is the response of Jonah. We'll pick up at verse 4. It says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So the ship threatened to break up. The mariners were afraid and cried out to their God, hurled the cargo off. Verse 6, skipping down, says this. So the captain came to Jonah and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Literally, what's with you, sleeping one? Like, really? You're sleeping here and now in the midst of this? And it's just, it's just worth it for us just to dwell on this just for a moment. Here is a, a prophet, a devout Jewish man being corrected by a polytheistic sailor <laughs> who says, will you wake up? He's indifferent. He is indifferent to what might be happening to the sailors. And so it is, just, it is worth it for us just to, to think about this for a second. Are we as a church, as a church family, indifferent to people around us? Are we sleeping? Are we, have we lost our attentiveness to people around us who are hurting? I was reading this week a book by an author named Richard Stearns, and the title is, What Does God Expect of Us? The Whole in Our Gospel. I think it was written in 2010, and I have not read it all, but I've read parts of it. And then just a few quotes that caught my attention this week as far as my own life, my personal life, my family, our church. Are we asleep? Are we indifferent to people around us who are hurting? All right, we'll start with my favorite, Johnny Cash. This is just a, a few quotes from the book. Johnny Cash says this. Are you so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good? All right, so perfect. Jonah, he's a prophet. 
he knows this book better than anybody. Probably memorized the Pentateuch. That's the first five books of the Bible. A scholar. A scholar of the Old Testament, but was indifferent to people who were hurting. There comes to a point where our knowledge becomes irrelevant if we are not showing love to people. Frederick Faber said, Kindness has converted more sinners than zeal, eloquence, or learning. Again, Jonah, scholar, brilliant man, could care less about the people around him. St. Teresa of Avila, Christ has no body on earth but yours, no hands but yours, no feet but yours, your eyes through which Christ's compassion for the world is to look out. Yours are the feet with which he is going about to do good, and yours are the hands with which he is to bless us now. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And Jonah's problem was, hey, I, I dig that, I'm cool with that, just not those people. My people, I'm okay with that, I like that. That makes me feel good. Other people that aren't part of my clan, they aren't part of my tribe, I'm indifferent. In the same book, John MacArthur is quoted, the true gospel is a call to self-denial. It is not a call to self-fulfillment. He goes on to say, hell will be full of people who thought highly of the Sermon on the Mount. You must do more than that. You must obey it and take action. We are not just about knowledge acquisition. We are about learning God's word and deepening our love for God's word and our understanding of it. But it must never be at the cost of loving people, specifically people that are different than us, specifically people who we think of as our enemies. Last quote from the book, from Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. In the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. The silence of our friends. Jonah is asleep, he's silent, he's indifferent to the world around him. A sleepy silence that's very content. It makes us, it pushes us to think about who we are and how we live our lives. Of people who are active in compassion, active in giving mercy, active in showing love, active in showing gentleness and patience towards people active in showing justice, active in helping those who cannot help themselves. Um, I know that you know, a, lot of, a lot of the younger people in our church travel and do mission opportunities really all around the world. And I just, I, I just I believe in the value of that. And you know, I think it was a couple years ago that a group of us went to Haiti and I, there is just value in recalibrating your life and being active and showing love and mercy to people 
And you don't have to, I'm not saying you have to go to Haiti or something like that. You can go to Mission of Hope, uh, excuse me, uh, Union Rescue Mission downtown LA. Or, or, there are just so many opportunities. And, and I wanna, I'll finish up with this. Th this issue of being indifferent to hurting people around us is so crucial. And the solution is not, it's more valuable, it's more important than just my own thoughts. The solution to loving people is so valuable and so important that it involves all of us. That you all have a voice in that. And it's not just some simple program, it's not some idea that I have and say, hey, now church, we're going to do this. It's more complex than that. The thoughts, the vision, your own personal grid of love and mercy is valuable. And so it's not just about starting a program. It's about an attitude. It's about how we view our lives. It's about how we view people around us. But God help us if we are asleep in the boat while the world around us is hurting and sinking in pain. The response to the storm of Jonah is indifference. It's sleep. And we'll finish with the response of the sailors. And this is, this is such a beautiful picture of personal transformation. All right, so we'll, just, we'll go through this, and I'll just give you a, a couple of the big picture points of this, of, of what they do, and, um, and see how they change and transform. So number one, the response of the sailors is they turn to a finite God. Back up at verse... Um, four, the winds are picking up. It's getting worse. And verse five says this, the mariners were afraid. That word will come up many times. And each cried out to his God. During this time, you would have a God for just about every area of your life. And often they would just be in a, in a, in a shape of a little wooden type idol or a jar, um, a God of fishing prosperity, of work, all these different gods the people would turn to. Um, and so they begin to pray. They cry out to the finite God. The problem with crying out to a finite God is finite gods go down with the ship. The problem with finite gods is that the storm gets worse. Finite gods don't work. And we are naturally, I think we naturally turn towards finite gods. And here, let me give you just an example of, of this. Um, one of the things that, you know, where I work in the Palisades and live here, one of the things you hear often from people in, in my school community, if someone gets injured or hurt or they have some injury that happens, not all the time, but often what we always hear is, I'm going to see the best doctor in the world in this thing. It's like, it's always the best. Like, every person I know is like the best doctor at some injury or something. It's like this half joke, and it's not, it's kind of funny, but it's not. We're, we have got, he's like the expert. He's the world-leading expert on how to remove a toenail, I guess, or something like that. I don't know. But my point is this. The best doctor in the world is finite. The best doctor the most specialized doctor is not God. And of course, of course, I'm saying we always go to doctors if we're sick. 
But what I am saying very clearly is you cannot have your heart set on finite gods. You cannot cry out and call out to finite gods. When you have financial problems, you cannot cry out or call out to the credit card who is your finite God who can offer you more money. It can. It can temporarily solve your financial problem. When you're dating someone and you break up and you call out to the finite God who is the next immediate dating partner that's trying to heal your broken heart that will only last for a few weeks. We look for finite gods all over the place. We naturally are pushed and motivated to seek out finite gods. The problem is, as I said, finite gods don't work and the storm gets worse. The sailors continue. Verse 7 says, and they, looked, and they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know who, on whose account this evil has come upon us. So basically, they flip, flip a coin, throw dice, and they've got to place blame. When storms into your life, don't turn to finite gods. Don't seek to find blame. And this is what we often do. It's their fault. It's not because I made a really bad choice. It's someone else's fault. And this is what they do. And the beauty of the story is this, that God is completely sovereign. Who does the, the, the dice go to? It goes right to Jonah. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? Who, where's your country? And he says, and he confesses, this is who I am. I am a Hebrew, and there's such irony here. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Are you sure, Jonah? I fear the Lord. Are you sure? It goes on, verse 10, the men were exceedingly afraid. When storms happen, it will always be, often I should say, our natural tendency to try to find someone else to blame. The beauty of this story is there's a, there is a progression that all of us can learn from. So they turn to finite God, they place blame, and the next they use God as a bargaining tool. Verse 11 says, I'm going to back up and read verse 10. The last part says, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And so the sailors know the reason, the cause of the storm is Jonah rebelling against God, and God causes this storm. And so here's the bargaining time. Verse 11 through 13 says this, Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea has grown even more tempestuous. Jonah says, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and the sea will, be quiet, will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come. Here's the key, verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. 
Literally, they've put their oars down deep. And here's the turning point of the book. But they could not. They tried harder, but they could not. This is one of those scenarios, a, a bargaining opportunity with God. And this, is, this was my strategy when I was 13. God, get me through this, and I'll do anything for you. God, I'll do anything if, if you help me get a job, I'll do anything for you. God, if you help me get married, I promise to do anything for you. God, if you help me get over this sickness, I promise to follow you. The problem is, it's the wrong approach to think about it. I'll do anything if shows the one thing that, want, that God wants you to do is give up that if thing. God wants you to love him without the if. And that's about moving God back into the center of your life. The life of Jonah is a man, is a rebel who's transformed by grace. Who had God at the center of his life, but then when God called him to do something, he pushed God out of the center of his life. A storm comes in. Fear and anger grab a hold of his life and put the sailors in a dangerous place. And the sailors then begin to say, hey, if we can get out of this, God, we'll do this. How do we, how do we move out of fear and anger in our lives? Here's something that's just very significant, and then I'll close with this. Verse 14, just to finish up that thought. Therefore the, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish. Here's the bargaining. Let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us the innocent blood. They were concerned about if they throw Jonah overboard that God would judge them, kill them for killing this innocent man. Here's where the transformation took place. The last time where we see this word fear. Verse 16 says this, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. Here's what's so significant. Please just note this or underline this. Here's the flow. Storm, storm, fear, fear, exceeding storm, fear. Verse 15 again says this. They pick up Jonah. They throw him into the sea. The storm goes away. Verse 16 says what? We see the word fear again. This doesn't make any sense. The storm is gone. The ocean is calm. But verse 16 says, the men feared the Lord, not just kind of, not just a little bit, but exceedingly. And here's what I think happened. They began to see a transformation. Going back to Jonah for just a minute. They began to see a transformation in Jonah. Verse, verse 12, when Jonah speaks, you see the beginning point, the beginning transformation in Jonah's life where he's thinking about someone else besides himself. And here's what Jonah realizes in verse 12. He realizes that these men are going to die because of what he did. And he senses he begins to understand 
that it's better for him to die than for these men to die. And that clearly points us to Jesus. That Jonah is a substitute for these men. That Jonah offers his life so that these men may live. And when they see this transformation in Jonah, a transformation took place in their lives. They began to fear God. Not, and here's what happens. Here's the, the significance of this. There's a different understanding of the word fear. Before this time, it was fear because of they're going to die because of the storm. And now, the meaning of the word fear is awe, is wonder, is the greatness of God, amazed, overwhelmed, deep reverence, a new understanding of who God is. And it changed their perspective. It changed who they were. The significance of this story is that, that sometimes in life, the choices we make can lead to God, God's chastening in our lives. The intent is always love. The intent is always mercy and kindness. And bring, bringing you back, bringing us back to the place where God is the center, of his, uh, the center of our lives. And how that happens is when your view of God is changed. When you see Him with awe, with amazement, with this just omnipotent understanding of who God is and how great and how powerful He is, then fear and anger can begin to get pushed out of your life. The story of Jonah is that change happens when you understand grace, when you understand what God has done for you. Here's the danger of of this passage also, is that if you don't understand how Jonah there's a sign and points to Jesus of taking the place. It just becomes religion. It just becomes the habit of coming to church, trying to learn, and learn new things and do good things. But as how Jesus refers to this, that this always points forward to Jesus, that you have to see and understand that God in His perfect holiness has wrath towards people because of our fallenness and only because of what Jesus has done for us. Only because God gave can then we understand who God is in the right way. That allows God to be at the center of your life. That then allows, no matter what happens, storms will come and as we saw and as I told you in Mark, The disciples were living in perfect obedience. In storms, a storm still came. Storms might come come to your life. Here's the reality. We're all not going to live to 95 and be married for 70 years and be financially free and be perfectly healthy and have amazing lives. That's not going to happen. Life is filled with storms, painful deep storms. And the path forward, there's only one path forward. 
And that is understanding that Christ took your place, that he was your substitute, that he did that so, so you can be blessed, so you can be healed, so you can live with God at the center of your life. It's not a minor tune-up. It's a whole new radical way to live your life with Christ at the center of your life. And Jonah always points us to that. A rebel reformed by grace. Let's pray. Father, I just confess that there are, <clears throat> there are parts of, of my life and, and, and all of us here this morning where we've got little rebellious parts in our lives that it's difficult to give all of, all of who we are to you, that we want to hold on, maintain control, take the parts we like of you. But Father, storms teach us that you want all of us, that you want all of our hearts, all of who we are, not to make our lives miserable, but to, to, to bring blessing and wholeness and reconciliation and all the things we want, all the things we desire, all the things we long for, only you can bring those things to us. Father, I thank you for the story of Jonah. I pray that we would learn that the only way we change and grow is when we understand the grace you gave to us through what you did through Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.